Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you. Please go check out my new website where I am um, sharing uh, testimonial videos and, and other things I'm doing to serve families who want to make a new life for themselves by making a move in these challenging times. So there are a number of families that have discerned that. And if I could be a blessing to you in that journey to uh, find a new place to move your family to flourish, I would love to do that in the state of Washington or Idaho. You can go to drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Let's pray. I want to help you on your journey to become a saint today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, and I praise you for the gift of the Eucharist, for the gift of Scripture, for the gift of the saints. Lord, all these beautiful ways that you come close to us, all these beautiful ways that you um, walk with us so that we can um, we can discover the, the truth that you are the living God and that you love us so much and that you're approaching us every single day with the gifts and graces we need to be able to to honor you, to glorify you, and to be at peace knowing that you are in charge. It's not always easy, Lord, to know that you are in charge. Please, Lord, help us with that. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, one of the ways the Lord is humbling me is through the, the decreasing physical abilities I have, as well as the decreasing um, energy that I have. These are things that are showing up more recently as I have started to work out again. And the, the humbling thing that came to light uh, when I was, I, I'm trying to, basically I'm trying to rehab my calf muscle. Uh, I guess that's one of the things about getting old. Things don't quite heal the way they used to. You don't bounce back the way, I don't bounce back the way I used to. Anywho, here we are. I have been working out now for almost a month and I'm almost ready to join the session that is a group session that my um, my teenage girls are in. <laughs> I'm not quite ready to join them. Um, and it's not like this is some kind of advanced class, right? And she's like, yeah, you, you might want to work on this for a few more weeks before you try to join in on that class, even though it's a class where you can go at your own pace and all of that. So... Um, Realizing that I get a little bit winded just doing the warm up, <laughs> it's pretty humbling for a guy who, a guy like me, who's spent a lot of my life thinking I was pretty good at sports and, uh, and, and was able to hold more than hold my own in most sports that I played. And all of a sudden now, uh, I can't even join the class which my 18 and 17 year old daughters are in. Okay, or 19 and 17, soon to be 18 year old daughters are in. Um, so just breathe, Tom. Just breathe. Uh, and then realizing the toll that that even took on me—that I need to rest after the class. Okay, so I bring that up. Why? Life goes by very quickly. Life goes by very quickly. And life involves this journey, right? You get a sense of the journey in life. One of the ways that you, at least that I'm coming to have a greater awareness of the journey aspect of life is by getting older and by being able to do less things and watching my kids get older as well. And one of the things that that can come with age is, is perspective. And when perspective involves wisdom, at least the wisdom that comes from God, then all of a sudden the things that were really, really, really important in an earlier decade or two just isn't that important. And there's a sifting that goes on. There's a like a, a resetting that, that can go on. I think that that was one of the things that happened through COVID is that it shook to the foundations uh, many people's sense of what life was all about because there was no, n there was no normal any longer. The, this new normal was a weird normal. It was an abnormal, 
And so now that we're coming back to a kind of normal, we do so with, with that new perspective. So I'm coming into this program with this um, like fresh insight that just comes from the fact that, oh, you know what? There is a decline that happens in life. There's a stage of decline. And declining towards what? Well, it's not towards the grave, but it's towards, well, the ultimate meaning and purpose of life that only comes when you come face to face with God through death. And like that's important to reflect on. Because when I come face to face before God, and when you come face to face before God, the Lord is going, going to look at us with love. He's going to look at us with, with a love that is piercing, exposing, with a love that is also revealing. One of the ways that the, the judgment, the particular judgment, that's your personal judgment, one of the ways that that has been described is that gazing upon the Lord, coming face to face with the Lord in your judgment, what comes to be revealed as you look into his eyes is the idea that he had, he has in his mind of who you are in his sight and who you were to become with that one precious gift of that one journey through life that he had for you. Okay, think about that. There is someone that he intends you to become. There is a mission that he intends you to fulfill. And that becomes revealed to you. And what becomes revealed is not just, oh, this was a whimsical idea, or this was a nice idea that I had, and, you know, it didn't really work out. No, no. There's this searing exposure that will reveal this is who the Lord intended me to become and what he intended for me to do. And I get to look at that and let it live in contrast with, in let it be compared to who I actually became and what I actually did. And there's going to be a distance. There's going to be a difference between who I became and what I did and what the Lord intended me to become and what he intended me to do. Let's just hope that there's not a mortal difference between the two, a deadly difference, a hellish difference between those two realities, the, 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 the reality, the ideal reality in the mind of God and the actual reality of, of my own life. And the only way to bridge the distance between those two is the mercy of God. It's Jesus Christ crucified. He becomes the merciful way that we bridge the gap and we can come to redemption and salvation. Right? We can come to be set free, fully healed, transformed, and then uh, fully alive and flourishing as God's children, which is his purpose and plan for us. So with, with that said, if we, if we, if let's, you know, one of the, was it seven habits of highly effective people begin with the end in mind? If we begin with the end in mind, well, well the end that we're beginning with in mind is the purpose, the goal of the totality of our lives. And you, if you want to come up with a word that would be the most important goal, if you have to strive for one thing in life, if you have to make one thing your principal purpose that will be the most crucial for you in fulfilling this, this Im immense and, and amazing call that God has given to you by creating you, that one word is holiness. That one word is saintliness. That, that sharing in divine life, holiness. Holiness is what matters in the end. Because authentic holiness, profound holiness, implies, it entails Union with the Lord, who is holy. Union with the Holy God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Union with the Father through the Son in the Spirit. So, so much is broken open if 
we stop and say, what really matters, what endures, what lasts beyond this journey that is ours on earth, what endures into eternity is holiness. It's our it's how we are like God. That's what matters. Not uh, how popular we were, how famous, how much power, what was our position, how much influence, how much stuff we have, how many uh, accomplishments that the world acknowledges. Uh, you know, certainly not money, right? How much wealth we have. These things, in some ways, we can stop and say, how are they related to holiness? Is it that the holier you are, the wealthier you are? The, the holier you are, the, the more famous you are? The holier you are, the, the more power that you have? Not a, lot of direct, not a lot of direct correlation between the two, right? Certainly not. Um, and then, but neither is the opposite true. It's not, oh, you're more holy if you are poor, unknown, and... Um, and, and lack all power altogether, right? So, uh, however, there is that, what, poverty, chastity, and obedience. <laughs> there is something about the consecrated life, the life that's set apart for God and for godliness, for union with God and honoring Him in, in a heaven-like way. There is something about embracing a life that involves poverty and obedience, which seems to run very, uh, uh, very much in opposition to wealth and power for sure um so uh when we think about when we think about this these realities and yet we live in the world right we live in the world and we're living in a world where we are being asked to be salt light and leaven in the world not of the world in the world engaged with the world salt light and leaven that we are to bring into all of our relationships all of our endeavors but at least stop and ask will doing this advance us in holiness, me, my family, my spouse, will engaging in this pursuit help us grow in holiness? Because holiness is the essential requirement if we are going to become a saint and fulfill our God-given mission. You won't fulfill your God-given mission if you're not holy. You will not fulfill your God-given mission if you're not holy. If, if you're not what moving into those activities that are yours to do from a rich, profound union with the Lord in love. Does that make sense? And, and okay, now, we know that many of us are called to be um, husbands or wives and mothers or fathers. And, and we can know the, the reality that we have those calls, right? I'm called to be a husband and a father. But how often do I stop and think, I'm not going to fulfill God's call for my life as a husband and a father if I'm not holy? Whoa, wait a minute. Let's say that again out loud. You will not fulfill your call, Tom. You, brothers and sisters in Christ, won't fulfill your call in your family unless you live a godly life, unless you're pursuing the Lord, pursuing union with him, valuing union with him in faith, hope, and love, seeking to, to develop that relationship with Jesus in faith, hope, and love, where I trust in him, I have confidence in him, and I delight in him. When we have so many things around us to distract us, divert us, and disperse us, I said those three words intentionally, away from our union with God. It's not easy. I didn't say it was it was not easy. But here's the thing. Whether or not we are pursuing the Lord, the holy God, with a longing and asking, seeking, and knocking on the door of his heart to become more holy, whether or not we're doing those things, you guess what? We still feel and face the daily demands involved in being patient and kind, loving and self-giving, self-sacrificing uh, to lead and provide and protect my spouse and my children. Those things happen. Those things impose themselves. Those things present themselves to me every single day, whether or not I inform those activities with holiness. So today in Sound Insight, I'm reflecting in this month dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus on 
perspective. And the perspective of life as a journey towards an encounter with the Holy God and how holiness and growth in holiness ought to be very high on our list and on our radar screen day to day regarding how we evaluate how we're living. Welcome back to Sound Insight. So there's a new documentary that is out. It just came out at the beginning of June. I haven't seen it. I'm going to see it. It's by Matt Walsh. Um, I believe he's Catholic. Um, I am pretty insightful podcaster and commentator, things like that. And he worked on a documentary. I, I watched a brief, just a snippet of a interview with him where he said that it took them over a year to produce this documentary. And the documentary was asking a simple question, what is a woman? What is a woman? And asking it to lots and lots of folks who have been infected by gender ideology and who are uh, promoters and advancers of gender ideology, which is twisting in diabolical ways the peaceful understanding of one's own sexual identity among men and women today. And it's invaded our high schools, Catholic high schools as well. It's invaded even our Catholic grade schools. I'm not, it's not just public schools. It's, it's even these other schools. And so many of these school leaders, and sadly even priests and bishops, are just at a loss of how to stand tall and strong on the Word of God, on our Catholic Christian tradition, on a simple but profound truth that will unbind and set young men and women free, that God made you male and female. Anyways, Matt Walsh um, has this documentary, What is a Woman? And from the reviews and the comments that I've read and seen about it, now I'll, I'll report more, um, there is a, a, a very like revealing way that this documentary in interviewing folks just opens them to like the confusion and the lack of foundation and the contradictory positions that they find themselves in when they've embraced a gender ideology that they can't even define the simple but profound question, what is a woman? And it, it, it's, it, in certain senses leads to the bankruptcy of that whole ideology, but even worse, the danger of it for so many young people who are being influenced and it's washing over them. It's sowing into their hearts and minds to realize what's at stake in that. Well, interestingly, this is a far afield from that, but related. I was at a basketball game. This is, what, Wednesday night. Uh, last night, Carrie and I went to our daughter, Annalise's basketball game. She's in seventh grade and um, playing with girls her own age um, and girls a year younger, so sixth and seventh graders in the summer league just for the month of June. And we came away from the game and Carrie said one thing. Well, one thing about the game that jumped out at me. And she's she asked the question, how does this league how does Annalise's involvement in this girls' summer league help her become more of a woman? How is this league helping her nurture and value her femininity? And she was saying that, Carrie was saying that, in light of the fact that as the girls are reaching this age, 7th grade, 8th grade, high school in basketball, the game becomes so very rough, aggressive, physical. It's really, if you haven't seen girls that age, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth high school girls that are in competitive basketball playing the game, you, you would say, wow, this is super aggressive and, and and here's the thing i'm um to take carrie's point in what way is this helping these young women grow and flourish precisely as women 
Or is there a way that what's being fostered in them is a, a type and a degree of aggressiveness that is diminishing, weakening, or even undermining uh, an authentic, flourishing femininity? And trust me when I say I don't think, I'm not saying femininity is being prissy and, and um, just, uh, you know, backing away uh, and getting afraid of a little mouse and jumping up on a table, right? So I, I don't, I don't mean that. But if you were around these games, I think you'd get it. It's like this is f- so physical and and aggressive. It, isn't it worth raising the question? Is it worth raising the question? Is is this helping our daughter grow as a young woman? And I, I just like, wow, Carrie, what a great question. I use that as a as a way of saying, um, you know, in our time, it's very important to be asking questions. Like I've asked questions quite a bit about men uh, and young men. What what does it take to turn young men into men? And there's a way in which technology uh, and the current culture has sidelined men and made them very passive, made them settle for and chase after softness and ease and let's call it fleshly satisfaction, especially through technology. And it has begun to rot, it has begun to rot the idea of valuing the difficult good, the bonum arduum, the arduous good, the good that calls forth from a young man sacrifice patient endurance and self-giving so that the good thing will happen. And it's not pleasurable. It's not soft. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. And let's move upstream from young men today, teenagers uh, and young adults to fathers, you know, fathers my age, fathers, you know, in the, in the, from 30 to, to 60 who are raising these teenagers today, how, it is so easy for us to be passive and not engage in difficult conversations, not engage in challenging our sons to up their game, to strive for greatness that involves tremendous, even heroic self-giving, but generosity in self-giving and self-sacrifice, in hard work, that this is where virtue lies. You know, virtue is all about expressing excellence in human behavior. So I want my kids, when they're doing something, not just to just get by. No, I want them to strive to be excellent in their behavior. And, and it can happen in the littlest things, right? The littlest things. Like I was affirmed, um, one, there was a, one of the teachers, or was it a teacher? It was a dad. It was a dad at the Oaks um, who said to me, hey, I just want to tell you a story about uh, one of your sons. And the story was that um, he was, uh, he had not met my son before and my son was walking past him. Um, It was like at a play practice and he stopped, he turned and looked him in the eyes and he uh, reached out his hand and he said, oh, I don't think I know you. And he introduced himself. And he shook his hand, looked him in the eyes and shook his hand. And nice to meet you. And the this dad was just saying, you know, well done. You know, well done. And, and this sounds like a little thing, right? It sounds like a little thing. And yet, there are a number of little things that we can teach our young men that will lead them to display human excellence in their behavior, right? He didn't have to. He could have just walked by and just nodded his head, um, or just kind of waved or waited for the for the the adult to introduce himself. He could have just stayed away and said, "This is too awkward, and I don't want to do that." Um, but being able to teach kids some fundamental things to help them to live not just moral lives, but even lives that honor God. So things like, you know. Uh, when you arrive at a house, first of all, don't just run in and try to connect up with your friends. 
you know, if you're going to some party or some social gathering, but good, don't go in the house empty-handed. Make sure that you're bringing something into the house that we're bringing as, as our contribution to as a potluck or a gift for the host. And the first thing you, you do is you go, you find the host, you go up, you look them in the eyes, you say thank you for having us here, you shake their hand, you introduce yourself if you don't if if you're not known to them and, and uh, or if they don't remember your name, you introduce themselves, you speak your name out, you look them in the eyes, you shake their hand firmly, and then you say, "Is there anything that we can do? How can I how can I be of help? Is there something that I can do?" And if they insist that they don't need any help, you're good to go. You thank them for uh, being able to be at the party, and then you can go off. And then when it comes time to be called to order. You step up quickly. You don't continue chit chat chatting and, and being disrespectful. You listen attentively. You pray when it's time to pray. And you don't go first when it comes time for the food. You don't go first. You let other people go first. You seek, again, that servant spirit. You seek to be generous. And then if you're going through, don't go after the best piece. Don't go after the last piece. Don't go after simply what you prefer and like, yeah, I got in there early. I'm going to grab at this. No, think of others. Think of others. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it, whether it's the golden rule, do unto others as, as you'd have them do unto you, or even more, make the secret sacrifice. Sacrifice something that you'd enjoy for the sake of someone else being able to enjoy that. You know what? Don't tell anybody about it. Don't draw attention to it. Just do that. And you'll find joy in that. You'll find joy in that simple thing. And then if you need something and you're there, you don't interrupt adults when they're talking. So if we're talking, I'm talking to another adult and my kid comes up and they're standing there, I expect that they are not going to just interrupt, say, Mom, Dad, I need something. And uh, they're going to wait. They're in my line of sight, my peripheral vision. I got it. And I will wait for the right moment in the conversation. And they might have to stand there for a minute to say, excuse me for a second. Do you need something? And then I'll address my kids. And then they can go forward from there. So, you know, these these might just sound like, like good manners, healthy manners. But Wow. These are things that, this is part of discipling. This is part of discipling our kids. Uh, and it, rather than catering to our kids, that word catering is part of our life right now. Uh, Carrie is, she's been trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to serve for our daughter's Ariana's graduation party coming up on Sunday? And and she's like, okay, do I go buy the food and we're going to barbecue? Do we? And so there's a bit of a combination of making some salads, but some up the portion of the food is going to be catered. And it was really interesting because we we were again at this basketball game, and she was talking with um, a mom, and this little kid, one of her kids, just came in and would immediately interrupt, and there was no sense at all that what this young boy, I don't know, second grader or whatever, was doing was not appropriate. In fact, this young man had this great expectation that, of course, he's the priority, and if he's going to get involved in a conversation, he can step right in, and mom should attend to him. And how uh, technology can invade a kid's life even at that age. And there's this what the kid is being catered to. There's a catering going on. And this doesn't serve. This does not serve our kids. Your kids are not served by you catering to their whims, where they don't learn about the concept of self-sacrifice. They don't learn about the concept of delayed enjoyment or self-denial, dying to one's desires, that just because I want something doesn't mean I get it. And just because I'm going to get something doesn't mean I'm going to get necessarily the one that I want when I want it. 
uh, or uh, be able to access and use it in the manner that would most please me. No, there's all kinds of you know, boundaries that can come up that it is easy for us to just settle for, this is exhausting. You know what? Have a phone or a game playing device and just play some games on it. I need a break. This is just exhausting. Or, you know what? It's just easy to cater to what you're asking for me so you'll stop bugging me, right? These are these are really easy temptations that we face, right? Or another great one is, uh, they left their shoes out of the closet again. They're not hanging up their jacket. They're not putting away their bowl of food that they were eating. I'm just going to do it myself. It's a lot easier. Don't even think about it. Let me just do it. Instead of having to play, um, uh, you know, having to play uh, Pharaoh, <laughs> the slave driver, and get them to do their jobs. Um, yeah, that would be easier. And, and yeah, it would be easier for us not to have to face the purifying fire of our own weakness, the the purifying fire of our own attitudes and our, and our own behaviors where we're, we're not at our best. We're not at our best when our kids are not at their best. Well, that's part of the purifying fire, right? If we want to grow in holiness, we have it right in front of us day to day. If we're going to, you can see how, what, if we're going to fulfill this call that is ours as husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, it's going to need some holiness. It's going to need some godliness for us to get there. When we come back, I want to come back around to the way in which Jesus intends to be with us. He intends to be with us to fulfill our call. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. So I was just doing a little bit of a walkthrough of some of the ways in which you can see if we're holy, right? if we're living in a fruitful, flourishing union with Jesus Christ, then guess what? We'll sense his presence. We'll experience the power of his Holy Spirit at work in us we will find that things will flow, not that things are just easy. No, no, no. But we'll find that even the things that are sacrificial, that there's a strength within us to move us forward. That that's what God intends, that Jesus Christ doesn't just call us to be thrown into the challenging circumstances of being a husband or a wife, a mother or a father and fulfilling just that call, not to mention other calls, or to be in work situations that are just difficult and say, figure it out, and I'm watching. And guess what? The distance that exists between you and us is just going to grow and become greater. That's not the Lord. No, the Lord is drawing close. He comes and he knocks on the door of our hearts. And we live in a time where the evils of this world are not simply like a minefield, that we're walking along unexpectedly and we step on a minefield. No, these are aggressive evils that seek out our kids. They seek us out. They seek to destroy the purity, modesty, chastity, and self-control of our kids. They seek to lead them into spiritual bondage, into shame, into darkness, to make them passive. This is the battle that we're facing in this world. And, and not only through, you know, uh, pornogra- pornographic uh, uh, temptations, but through as well the confusing, diabolical lies that will twist our kids and, and adults into ways of looking at their own lives that are not from God, that will lead them into confusion and darkness, lead them into places of depression and uh, tendencies towards addictive behaviors, towards uh, behaviors that are self-destructive, self-harming. These are the impacts that we're facing. So the Lord, he does not leave us orphaned. He does not leave us orphaned. So yesterday on the program, I spent, well, really the whole program, encouraging you to go to adoration to seek Jesus in the concreteness of his presence. And 
that word concreteness, that's important. How many, how many of you, how many Catholic and Christian disciples of Jesus struggle with the apparent, uh, the apparent absence of the living Lord Jesus Christ? Did you hear that? There's this, this is apparent absence where I don't know if Jesus knows me. I don't know if he sees me. I don't know if he knows what I'm going through, but I feel lost. I feel alone. I feel overwhelmed. And Jesus, where are you? Jesus, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you holding back? Why aren't you making yourself more obvious? So if that is something that you've known, or if there are people that you know that are experiencing that sentiment, and, and it's it's understandable, right? We can so quickly crowd out the Lord and crowd out his presence by the busyness, the frenetic pace of the world around us, and all of the busyness that happens within us. And so going to a church, going to an adoration chapel, and please, if you can, go to a chapel where, go to a church where there is Eucharistic adoration, where there's exposition, where Jesus Christ, present as blessed sacrament, is visible to you. There's a concreteness there. A concrete, there's a physicality there. And when you go into his presence, I know that, again, remember now from these six stages of Eucharistic adoration, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to mycatholicfaith.org. You can listen to the program. Go to Apple Podcasts and look up the Dr. Tom Curran podcast on the six stages of Eucharistic adoration. I, I know that our default setting or our typical experience, especially in the early stages of adoration, is a lack of awareness or sensitivity to his holy presence. That we're there and we're looking at this host and we're not sensing personal Jesus. We're not sensing living Lord Jesus, glorified Lord Jesus. We just see the host. And that's where it's going to take time. You pray and beg for the gift of God. You make those acts of faith. You beg the Lord to let the scales fall from the eyes. You ask for the Holy Spirit to be released within you in new ways so that you can experience the powerful encounter with Jesus, that you will know that you're known, you'll know that your situation is in his heart, that you are in his heart, and he's asking you to trust him. He's asking you to let go. He's asking you to surrender. He's asking you to give him permission to wash over you relief, release, refreshment, light, peace, freedom, all these good things of God that he intends for you, this inheritance of blessings that are yours, are awaiting you in adoration. Just to make sure that you know that I'm not making this up, it's not just me, I'm just going to read a couple of quotes that come from great saints, which can be hopefully a, um, a confirmation. A confirmation that, yeah, you know what? I am going to up my game. I am going to, in fact, make a more serious effort to be present to the Lord in adoration. Okay, this is from Saint Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She says, The time you spend with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament is the best time you will spend on earth. <laughs> I mean, Whoa. Okay. You just, I'm not even done yet, but just all, all of a sudden when you hear that, it's obvious that when Mother Teresa, Saint Teresa of Calcutta was in the presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, she knew it was Jesus, right? She had this rock solid knowing this is Jesus. The time you spend with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament is the best time you will spend on earth. If, By the way, if we knew that, if we believed that, if we experienced that, you would be doing more of it 
we would have a greater commitment to getting other people to spend time in adoration. We would be making time every day to be with the Lord in adoration. We would make that would be a higher priority than eating. That would be a higher priority than, well, many other things. Let's just say it like that. Well, Saint Mother Teresa goes on. She says, each moment that you spend with Jesus will deepen your union with him and make your soul everlastingly more glorious and beautiful in heaven and will help bring about everlasting peace on earth. Okay, that is an incredible, like, uh, value proposition <laughs> that she's laying out there for you regarding why you'd want to go spend time today with Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament. Again, the concreteness of his presence. Each moment you spend with Jesus is going to deepen your union with him, even if you don't realize it, even if you don't feel it, even if you can't quantify it. No, just trust what she's saying. Every moment you spend with Jesus is going to deepen your union with him here and now on earth. But and, did you hear the and? Make your soul everlastingly more glorious and beautiful in heaven? Hello? I mean, come on. What else do we need? Like the Lord is saying, do you want to, do you want to encounter and, and live in my glory for all eternity more fully? Do you want to have a bigger cup that's filled to overflowing? Do you want to go from a venti cup to a trenta? <laughs> Do you want to go from a 55-gallon drum to a, a, a built-in swimming pool? Do you want to go from a, a swimming pool to a Grand Canyon uh, worth of capacity to be filled with God's glory in heaven? Well, there's at least one way that Mother Teresa is identifying you're going to get there, and that's spending time with Jesus in adoration. That is the effect. Oh, and by the way, you'll also have everlasting peace on earth. The fruits that come from being in the presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament include not only heavenly blessings, but earthly blessings, including peace, order, serenity, calm. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm um, trying to really encourage you to um, put like I, this is something I'm reflecting on more right it's am I making holiness my highest priority holiness as a means to the end right holiness is, is a goal right because holiness is, is, is saintliness and if our call is to be a saint then it means growth and holiness but the idea of just stopping and saying I'm going to make growth and holiness today my priority I want to do those things that will be expressive of a holy life and will lead me to be more fully living a holy life and identifying those things that are holding me back from a holy life and ruthlessly eliminating, renouncing and repenting from those parts of my life, my attitudes and ways of seeing things and my ways of living that are dishonoring to God and not, not fostering growth and holiness. And so I, I, it, that's the only way that we're going to fulfill our call. The, the, one, the call that we all have. You, we, we are not going to fulfill that call without being holy. We're not going to be holy without Jesus. But the good news is, is that Jesus isn't like saying, I'm going to be minimalistic in, in the graces I'm going to give you. No, he is ready. He's more ready to give you grace to release his Holy Spirit's power in your life than you are to receive it. He is more ready to release within you an anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the graces you need to live a life of human excellence, a virtuous life that is godly and God-honoring, God-glorifying, and growth and holiness bringing. He is more ready to do that than you are to receive it. It's as if he's the one who's asking, seeking, and knocking on the door of your life more than you ask, seek, and knock on the door of his heart. That's the amazing thing. The Lord is always ahead of us, 
always more willing, always waiting. More than we're waiting to be blessed, he's waiting to bless us. And so I'm pointing us back to Eucharistic adoration that I talked about yesterday and bringing out some quotes I didn't get to yesterday that were meant to be a further inspiration, a further um, a momentum bringer for you to say, I'm going to do this. I, I, I don't want to miss this. I'm doing this for the sake of fulfilling my call. Guys, you will fulfill your call more fruitfully as husbands and fathers if you go to adoration than if you don't. Whoa, that's huge. Wives and mothers, you will fulfill your call to be a wife and a mother more faithfully, more profoundly, if you go to adoration than if you don't. Wow, that is amazing. <laughs> that is really cool. So let me give you another quote um, from Mother Teresa. And uh, it's it's a beautiful one again. Um, it, it just, I, I, I've got so many other quotes, I, I'm not gonna be able to get through them all, but listen to St. Mother Teresa again. When the sisters are exhausted up to their eyes in work. Okay, can you relate to this? You busy? When the sisters are exhausted up to their eyes in work, when all seems to go awry. Okay, how many of you are in that situation right now? Take the wisdom of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. When all seems to go awry, they spend an hour in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. This practice has never failed to bear fruit. They experience peace and strength. Okay, are you convinced yet? Right. Like, we hear these things, they're very strong, they're very convicting, they may even be converting. The question is, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? So Mother Teresa is already telling us when you're exhausted, your eyes are you're up to your eyes in work, all things are going awry, spend an hour in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. It'll bear fruit. You'll gain peace and strength. Peace and strength. Uh, let me go to St. John Paul II. Um, he talks about adoration quite a bit. He, he wrote... Um, a couple of encyclicals about the Mass and, and the Eucharist and Eucharistic adoration. Um, in one of them, he says this, It is pleasant to spend time with Jesus, to lie close to his breast like the beloved disciple, and to feel the infinite love present in his heart. Wow. It just, when you hear, you hear the, the personal quality of that comment. It's not just that he's a clever writer or a good writer and knows how to draw scriptures in. No, he's he's drawing out in some ways, in, in, in a way that isn't so directly like, let me tell you about the time I was in adoration, but he, you can tell, you can sense, this comes from his life. This comes from his own time in adoration. It was pleasant to spend time with Jesus, to lie close to his breast like the beloved disciple, right at the Last Supper, where John, the beloved disciple, leans in against the chest of Jesus when he asks him, who, who is it that was going to betray him? Uh, and to feel the infinite love present in the heart of Jesus. Do you want to feel his love? Go to adoration. You want to feel his love? Go be in the presence of that physicality, that concreteness of Christ present as Eucharist. If in our time, quote again, John Paul, if in our time Christians must be distinguished above all by the art of prayer, how can we not feel a renewed need to spend time in spiritual converse, in silent adoration, in heartfelt love before Christ present in the most holy sacrament? How often, dear brothers and sisters, have I experienced this? and drawn from it strength, consolation, and support. So there, he's speaking in a very personal term, a testimony, right? So spiritual conversation, talking to Jesus, 
in silent adoration, just gazing upon him and making your own acts of loving surrender and, and praise and worship in silence, in heartfelt love, just telling the Lord how much you love him. These, these are beautiful things, and, and what will they do? They'll help nurture your own relationship with Jesus. You're going to nurture your own relationship with him. So um, one more quote from John Paul II. The church and the world have a great need of Eucharistic worship. Jesus waits for us. Make it personal. Jesus waits for you in this sacrament of love. Let us, please you, be generous with your time in going to meet him in adoration and in contemplation that is full of faith and ready to make reparation for the great faults and crimes of the world. May our adoration never cease. There's John Paul II drawing on, again, a a very traditional idea that when we come to adoration and we come lovingly with holy uh, devotion and fervor, we are making up for the damage of all of the sacrileges and blasphemies that are um, present in um, in the world around us. And so uh, that idea of going before the Lord in adoration is a very powerful thing. May our adoration never cease. Um, oh, I want to mention something. And it has to do with a um, supposed rosary walk on Saturday in Coeur d'Alene. Let me, let me give you some details about this. I'm talking about um, on Saturday, there is a, um, uh, an event, um, a gay pride event in downtown Coeur d'Alene. And there has been an anonymous group promoting a rosary e- e- uh, rally or event in opposition to this at the same location. And the, the, there's this question of, like, there's no identifying group as the ones organizing it. There's no identifying group saying, here's what we're going to do. And so there's a question about whether or not the, the group promoting the rosary um, is, in fact, a, a setup. And so I know that Father Gordon at uh, St. Joan of Arc Parish, for a number of reasons, is saying, don't participate in that. But instead, you can go to St. Joan of Arc between 10 in the morning and 3 in the afternoon, which is the same time as the downtown event, and instead pray a rosary at the church. And do so, you can also do it at home at any time, and an act of reparation. Also fasting on Saturday, um, which has great power against the demonic. So, at noon, if you are in Post Falls or Coeur d'Alene, head over to St. Joan of Arc Church to pray a rosary all 15 decades to, uh, to honor the Lord uh, in a way that is um, not going to be a setup for um, uh, other blasphemous activity. Well, there you go. All right. I am up against the end of my program. Tomorrow, don't forget, I'll be interviewing a couple of folks from the new classical Catholic um, school, high school opening up in Coeur d'Alene. So you don't want to miss that.